Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. In just a moment, we're going to dive into uh, some issues surrounding the Utah Department of Health. Uh, many of those issues contained uh, within an email drafted by Rich Saunders, the interim executive director of the Utah Department of Health. It looks like uh, the department will look very different in the future. Uh, that's drawing from language contained within the email. Before we get into that, and we'll be speaking with a representative from the Department of Health in just a moment, let me just narrate some of what is happening in Washington, D.C. right now. I mentioned that there was a motorcade that commenced its travel at Arlington National Cemetery, came up over the Arlington Bridge into the District of Columbia, around the backside of the uh, Lincoln Monument, and then onto the White House. Uh, the last few yards of that processional, uh, President Joe Biden and Dr. Jill Biden, they emerged from the beast and walked up the long, uh, the long paved driveway to the White House. And they, at this moment, are standing, embracing one another as they, quite literally at this very moment, uh, are entering the White House for the first time as the president and the first lady. This, uh, this, this moment has been, you know, in the works for the past uh, number of hours. There is an army of a team responsible for taking care of the White House. And upon the departure of the outgoing president, Donald Trump, that army of staffers, they go to work preparing it for the new president. And that president, Joe Biden, alongside his wife, First Lady, Dr. Jill Biden, have just now for the first time entered the White House. That's where we stand right now. Uh, and there are plenty more events planned for the day. And we'll bring those updates to you as they uh, unfold. Now back to the Utah Department of Health. Uh, let's jump right into this conversation. Tom Hudako joins me from the Department of Health, Director of Communications there. Tom, sir, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Can I just ask you generally about this email? There's a line in it that says the Utah Department of Health will likely look different in the future. Let's start there. What does that mean? Yeah, so, you know, as, as Governor Cox has uh, has started to, to implement his administration, uh, he, he has reached out to agencies with uh, with a desire that we create more uh, synergy between agencies that, that offer common services to common stakeholders. Uh, he's also interested in, in creating greater accountability. He's got a cabinet right now that consists of 23 different cabinet-level agencies, uh, and the feeling is that a, a smaller cabinet possibly could uh, could provide for more meaningful interaction with those cabinet members and those uh, cabinet agencies with the governor. To your knowledge, have there been events that triggered such a move or you know triggered such a suggestion for change? I 
uh, you know, c- coming to mind is the purchase of hydroxychloroquine earlier uh, in the COVID pandemic, the Healthy Together app. Do any of those events or others uh, bear responsibility for uh, these changes? I don't believe so. I don't think there's any. Uh, I don't think there's any one particular event or even a, a series of particular events. Uh, I think what the governor has indicated to us is that he is interested in some in some broader principles, and if he can achieve those principles through through realignment and, and merging of, of some state agencies, then uh, that can be a good thing, not only for uh, the agencies themselves in terms of, of having better coordination. Uh, across similar programs that deliver similar services, but that we can actually improve the, the way that we deliver services to residents. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of, lot of services that are provided across agencies that, that bear some similarities from department to department. And, and I think sometimes it can be a, a confusing, confusing map to navigate for individuals who rely on those services. So uh, if we can become more accountable and better coordinated uh, within state government, and also have that on the back end be uh, be easier for for our our constituents to navigate. Then, then I think we view that as a positive thing. Mm. Uh, it, does it make sense to to at least start the process of bringing these changes about in the midst of the pandemic, specifically at the stage we are in right now, still trying to figure out how to most effectively distribute the vaccine? Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, I think that's uh, I think that's an, an obvious concern for people to bring up and. Um, we recognize, recognize that, that the timing for uh, such significant change is difficult, but the fact of the matter is uh, change is always difficult. Uh, you know, we, we, as, a, as an agency and a, as state government, we need to make sure that, that we can address more than, than one thing at a time. So, uh, yes, the majority of our, of our focus is on the COVID response right now and, and particularly on getting that vaccine out. It's not our only focus. Uh, it's consumed m- much of our department, but not all of our department. So, you know, we, we've certainly got the capacity to be able to, to look into things that are going to be uh, a- adding to efficiency and, and, and uh, improving the services that we provide for residents beyond the pandemic. What, what's the timeline for for this transformation? I, I can't help but think that if the department right now bears, you know, even a, a fraction of a, of a percentage of responsibility for uh, the distribution of the vaccine, that it should be wholly focused on on that effort. Does what is the timeline like? Will there be overlap between the efforts to realign the the department and the rollout of the vaccine? And how could one not take away from the other? Well, I, I don't know that uh, that the specifics have, have been put out there in terms of of what uh, th- this new single agency might look like or what the timeline might be for creating that agency. I think that is uh, something that will that will have to be spelled out in the in the legislation. Uh, I mean, I, c- I can say that you know we're an agency of of almost a, a, a thousand employees that that delivers close to 100 different programs to individuals throughout the state. So even though we are heavily focused right now on on the uh, efficient administration of vaccine to residents, uh, we're still doing things like uh, getting people healthcare services through our Medicaid program and getting kids services through our CHIP program. So th- there is day-to-day work that continues, even though the vaccine rollout and, and the, the pandemic response in general uh, has taken up a lot of the focus. But we continue to operate, uh, you know, you know, on a daily basis in other areas of our, our responsibilities as well. Help me with some of the schoolhouse rock background here. What uh, what is required for a change like this? Is it simply a, a decree from the governor? Does the legislature need to be involved? Does there need to be buy-in from folks like uh, Mr. Saunders or others? 
Well, it, it, it certainly does need to be, uh, you know, our agencies are, are all created in statute. So there, there does need to be, uh, there does need to be statute change at the legislative level. So, so that needs to happen. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's, that's certainly a, a key part of this uh, moving forward. Uh, Tom, thank you. One, one last question comes to mind. Dr. Dunn, Dr. Angela Dunn, state epidemiologist, she uh, has been, uh, you know, a, a bright star in the midst of this pandemic. What's her future look like? Oh, I, I, I think she continues in the same capacity she's been in. The, uh, the governor's office has, has been cl- clear with us and, and clear in their communication that, that there's no proposal uh, in the works to reduce the number of state employees, uh, that, it, that if these mergers were approved by the legislature, uh, any any reductions in workforce that would be dealt with, with through attrition and, and retirements and resignations, not through a reduction in force. So uh, I, I, I don't think that, that there's any change uh, in in the future in terms of uh, Dr. Dunn's role in the response to the pandemic. Your prediction is that she remains in place and the position remains in place? Yes. Understood. Uh, Sir, thank you so much. Tom Hudako, Utah Department of Health Director of Communications, uh, sharing with us some of the details that could go in to uh, a dramatic uh, shifting of the way health is approached at the state level. The Utah Department of Health very likely looking different in the future. That, according to an email drafted by Interim Executive Director Rich Saunders. My thanks again to Tom Hudako. We're going to take a break right now. When we return, you heard Tom there mention that it does require legislative action. Well, there's a a state representative we've identified, Paul Ray. He will join us next to talk about what he is working on ahead here on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Today is the inauguration of now President Joe Biden, Inauguration Day in America. Just a moment ago, before the commercial break, I narrated uh, an interesting little transition. It was Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, alongside First Lady Dr. Jill Biden, as they entered the White House for the very first time. That coming after a wreath-laying ceremony at Arlington Cemetery. They crossed the bridge into the into Washington, D.C., came around the backside of Lincoln and made their way onto uh, Pennsylvania Avenue, specifically 1600, uh, where they, for a time, stood in front of the door. They embraced, they waved, uh, and then hand-in-hand hand, they crossed the threshold into the White House for the first time uh, since being elected. Uh, pretty fascinating little turn of events, uh, regardless of where you stand on politics. Uh, We're going to continue our conversation on the goings-on at the Department of Health here in just a moment. Uh, But let me tell you that uh, after the break, we're going to come back with uh, an ABC News correspondent in Washington, D.C., who is going to detail for us exactly what went on inside the White House in the few short hours before before President Biden, President and Dr. Biden entered the White House for the first time as president and first lady. Uh, That's a story you don't want to miss. So stick around through our conversation uh, about the Department of Health and be sure to uh, join us to talk about what happened inside the White House uh, before a moment that just transpired. Uh, Joining me now is Representative Paul Ray of the Utah State Legislature. That's a name you recognize, uh, represents District 13 in Davis County. Uh, and he, uh, as you heard during the conversation with Tom Hudako, that this transformation that is uh, potentially taking place uh, within the Utah Department of Health, specifically, uh, it will look differently and may be combined with other programs and agencies 
under the banner of a newly created health and human services agency. What does that mean? What does it require? And why exactly is it taking place right now in the midst of this pandemic? For such a transformation to take place on that scale would require uh, the approval of the legislature. It would require legislative action. And the legislator behind that effort right now is Paul Ray. He joins me. Uh, Representative Ray, sir, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Lee? I'm all right. Uh, Are those the bells behind you? Do you have a vote to get to? I do, but I can talk and walk at the same time. Outstanding. Uh, Tell me, you you are handling a piece of legislation which would realign the Utah Department of Health. Tell me why. Well, I think as we go through, I mean, we've... uh, the governor's obviously looking at shrinking uh, the size of how we do things. And I, I think we see a lot of uh, a lot of things that are done on both sides between Department of Health, a lot of overlapping services or overlapping jobs. And so I think we can look at efficiencies for doing that, actually do a better job of delivering services at a lower cost. What's what's the wisdom for engaging in this you know type of realignment, uh, you know, <laughs> of such an important state agency, the Utah Department of Health, in the middle of a yet-to-be-concluded pandemic? Well, and that's the thing. is The pandemic and those services aren't the ones that are going to really be affected at all by what we're doing. You know, in, in talking to the director of the Department of Health, uh, we can look, and, and any changes we make will be down the road. You know, we may vote this year, but it may be a six-month roll-in. It may be a one-year or two-year rollout to do this. It's not going to be an immediate change. So anything we put in place now is going to happen over time, which has put us outside the window of the pandemic. I, I see. I see. So, so you'll, that'll be written into the language somehow so that, uh, that any of these transitions, any of the realignment, anything that happens to reorganize uh, you know, these programs and agencies and services, it, it won't conflict with the energies needed to combat the pandemic? That, that's correct. And anytime you do an agency realignment, these are two huge shifts. The budget that I'm over is almost half of the state budget. You know, we're about $7 billion in the social services budget, which includes health, human services, and workforce services. So it's a big shift to turn around. So we can't turn it on a dime anyway. You know, no matter what we do, it's going to take us a period of time to be able to make these changes. Uh, Talk to me about catalysts. I am aware of, let's say, the Healthy Together app, which uh, didn't exactly, uh, you know, provide all that was promised at the onset. There was the purchase of, which was ultimately returned uh, and refunded, but the hydroxychloroquine purchase. Any of these events or others the catalyst for these types of conversations and these first steps towards realignment? You know, Lee, absolutely not. That's the interesting thing is, is, is this was approached to me because two years ago I started looking at, hey, we've got to start looking at combining these agencies because of some of the dual aspects of what they do. So those things that all actually had zero to do with what we're looking at. Fascinating. Uh, how broad thus far is the, is the support for this effort? Do you think this, you can pull this off? Yeah, actually, I, I know the governor's office is, is uh, they like the idea. Leadership likes the idea. Um, you know, obviously a little bit of pushback from, you know, advocates and, and so, so, you know, people like that. But I think for the most part, we have very broad support to do it. And the key is just to do it right, you know, not to rush through. Uh, you know, we've been in a series of meetings. We've got a lot more meetings that are, that are planned uh, to make sure that we do this thing the right way. Has the Utah Department of Health during this pandemic, have they acted appropriately every step of the way? Well, you know, I, I think the people that... Yeah, obviously there's been there's been some hiccups and there's been some big problems, but to say what they did was inappropriate, I think they were trying to do what they thought was best every step of the way. And were there mistakes made? Absolutely. 
you know, the, the, the appropriateness, we're going to do some audits, and we'll find that out through the audit. You know, it'd be kind of uh, a little premature for me to sit here and say that this or that or this was inappropriate. There are certainly things that look like uh, there were some judgment issues there. But I can tell you what has happened has all happened in just trying to get this right, and there's no playbook you know, for a, for a pandemic. We're going to have one when this is over, but we're writing the playbook right now. Do, do you think the audit uh, that you mentioned there will be completed before, uh, you know, say, earnest debate and ultimately voting on this legislation that would transform the department? Well, yeah, I don't think the audit will be completed by that point in time, and that's why it might be a, peer, a rollout period so we can actually get that information and know for sure what we have to do. And anytime you do an agency realignment, there's going to be a year or two that you're going to come back and make some changes as you, as you go, because I mean, you don't get it right the first time. I see. Uh, the, the vaccine, the rollout of the vaccine, uh, it has been un- underwhelming. We'll, we'll, we'll put it that. And it's not just specific here to Utah. Uh, there across the country, we see that the number of vaccines distributed into the arms of uh, Americans has fallen woefully short uh, of the total amount of vaccine available. But looking specifically to uh, Utah uh, and the role of the Department of Health, uh, do you place much of that blame on, on the department's shoulders? You know, I, I think well, the problem we have, we and we really had a, a very vibrant discussion in social services this morning. Um, again, they're trying to find the right way to do this. Somewhere there's causing the bottleneck and and. So one of the things that my social services committee wants to get to the bottom of is that bottleneck. Right now, we have 103,000 doses that are being held on to for second doses. But yet we're being told by the CDC, use all of those for first doses. We'll replace so you have the second doses. So we have a bottleneck. We have a total of close to 160,000 doses that have not been given. And the way I, I think the way we're distributing vaccines is causing the bottleneck. You know, we have a a uh, federal pharmacy agreement with two pharmacies, CVS and, and Walgreens, and they are, they're scheduled out through March right now just for the, the 70 and older population. You know, we need the, like, like Salt Lake County is doing, we need some of the mega mega places to, to go out and actually do the vaccines. You know, like they've got the Maverick Center and, and the Mountain America Center, uh, you know, down in Sandy, and they're doing mega vaccinations every day, and we just don't have that. We've got to get these in the arms of people. We need to let any pharmacy that wants to be involved, any medical practice that wants to be getting these things out, they need to be giving them out so that we're not bottlenecking these things and we're not sitting on top of them, actually getting them in people's arms. All right. We'll have to leave it at that. Listen, Representative Ray, thank you for explaining this to us. Uh, I'm going to stick with this, though. I want to touch base with you from time to time as this legislation moves forward, and I'm particularly interested in the results of that audit you referenced there. Uh, so uh, look forward to my phone calls in the future, sir. Sounds great. I appreciate that, Lee. Thank you. All righty. We're going to take a quick break here. When we return, we're going to return to our uh, attention that we're paying to the inauguration of the 46th president of the United States. We're going to get into some of the details. How do those involved actually pull off the events of today? Specifically, how does the massive staff that uh, tends to the needs of the White House itself how do they prepare uh, following the departure of one president, having it ready to welcome the incoming president? We're going to get a detailed description and briefing on exactly what went down in the White House today from ABC News correspondent Mark Remillard, my guest next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. 
More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.